We are accepted by God, uh, not because of our good works, but because of Jesus' good works on our behalf. We're going to turn now to God's Word. It's James chapter 2. We're starting in verse 14, reading to the end of the chapter. This is the Word of the Lord. What good is it, my brothers? If someone says he has faith, but does not have works, can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you uh, foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was it not also Rahab, the prostitute, justified by works, when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for your holy word. We pray for your Holy Spirit to now teach us and apply your word into each one of our lives and hearts and that uh, ultimately you would point us to Christ, our Savior, our hope, our life. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, our topic today is faith. And the passage we're studying today is a controversial one. I have a good buddy named Mike, who's a, a Roman Catholic, and you know, we're often sparring with one another about the differences or, or in, in similarities between our uh, churches. And our church is a, a Protestant church. And one of the main differences uh, that caused the split between the Roman Catholic Church and the, and the Protestant Church was how they understood the topic of Justification. Justification is one of the themes in this in this passage I just read to you. And justification is the act of God declaring someone righteous. It's the verdict that God uh, places on someone and accepts them in his sight. When God says, I accept you, you are good, you're, you're acceptable to me. And so the question is, how does God accept? declare you acceptable. And well, Martin Luther in the, back in the 16th century during the beginning of the Reformation studied the books of Romans and Galatians. And he said that we are accepted by God, uh, not because of our good works, but because of Jesus' 
good works on our behalf. And so we are justified by grace through faith alone. Well, uh, my friend Mike always likes to remind me that the words faith alone only appear in one place in the whole Bible, and it's right here in our passage there in verse 24. And this is what James says. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. So you might read the ver- that verse and say, well, clearly Luther was wrong. Uh, the Protestants were wrong, if that's what they were teaching. It's clearly different than what James is saying here. Well, actually, it raises a, a far deeper question because Luther's understanding of, of uh, faith alone came from the Apostle Paul. And here are just a couple quotes from the Apostle Paul from another place in the New Testament, the Bible. Romans 3.28. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or in Ephesians 2.8, by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. It's clear from Paul, uh, Paul that no one comes into God's presence and says, God, look at all my good works. Aren't you impressed with them? Uh, There's no room for boasting in God's presence. We are accepted by God as a gift of grace through faith. So what then is James talking about here in this passage? Is there a contradiction between the Apostle Paul and the Apostle James? That's maybe the deeper question that's at stake in this passage. Well, I'll begin by saying, you know, I think that just the average Christian reads Paul and James and just the Holy Spirit in their heart teaches them that both of them are are right. You know, on the one hand, they come to Paul and they say, oh yeah, you know, there's no way I could come to God and say, wow, look at all my good works. I know that God accepts me as a gift of grace because of what Jesus has done for me. And so my security is in what Jesus has done. My confidence is in Jesus, not in my own good works. But then they would also come to James and say, well, yeah, you know, if there was a person who said, well, I'm a Christian, but it it never affected their life and never changed who they were, we'd also say, well, yeah, that's probably really not real faith because it really hasn't transformed them or really rooted down into their heart. And so, yeah, James, I understand him. I agree with him too. And so both of these are true. Uh, It's another of the great paradoxes of Christianity that you are saved by grace through faith alone, but a living faith never is alone. It always has good works with it. But don't go start thinking that God accepts you because of your good works. Okay, so it's a subtle thing, but it's so important. And so what we're going to talk about today is is a living faith. What is a true living faith? What are the marks of it? What does James teach us about what it means to have a real, true living faith? And, And there are three things that we see in this passage. And this, this is what they are. That a living faith knows the truth. A living faith produces good works. And a living faith trusts in Jesus. Three marks. What is faith? What is living faith? It's, it's, it's a knowledge of the truth. It, it produces good works. And it trusts in Jesus. So three important points for us this morning. So the first is this. A living faith knows the truth. And what I mean by that is that Christianity has always said that knowledge 
is an essential part of, of faith. It's not simply a feeling, but it's things that we know. And actually, the Bible uses the expression, the faith. There is the faith. There is a body of orthodox doctrine that has been passed down through the church and through, first through the scriptures and then through the church throughout the years. And we summarize that knowledge, that faith in the Apostles' Creed every Sunday when we read it. I believe in God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. And uh, it, it's a summary of who God is and what he's done for us in Christ and the grace that's given to us through the Holy Spirit. And creeds like that, the, the knowledge of what we believe, have been used by God's people throughout history to summarize their faith. And in fact, James uh, mentions one of those ancient creeds here in verse 19, where he says, you believe that God is one, you do well. And if you remember, uh, James is writing to a group of largely Jewish Christians, and they would have recognized what James is talking about right there is the ancient creed called the Shema, which is from Deuteronomy 6, where it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. It's kind of the summary of the faith of Israel that we believe in, in Yahweh, the, the God who is one. And so James is affirming that a living faith knows the truth about who God is. A living faith is more than knowledge. And we'll get to that, that a living faith has to be just more than, than information or knowledge or true doctrine that's in our minds. But we first must appreciate that it's not less than knowledge. That's why there is so much learning that goes into being a, being a Christian, listening to sermons like this and studying the Bible and talking about it. But, you know, James in this passage does not give much attention to this part of faith, maybe because he knows these Jewish Christians. He knows that they have a lot of knowledge. They know about the Bible. They grew up studying it. They grew up learning it. You know, we're a church that probably puts is on the side of, you know, putting a lot of emphasis on knowledge. We probably don't need to hear about that either, that knowledge is important. Um, and so James gives a stark warning. Because right after he says, it is good uh, to believe true things about God, in verse 19 he goes on, he says, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Your faith has to be more than just knowledge of true doctrine. Demons know the right doctrine and they hate God for it. And in fact, these verses also say that I think faith needs to be more than our emotions because the demons also have an emotional reaction. They shudder when they hear about God. They have an emotional response. So a living faith is more than knowledge. So what can we then say about it? Well, that leads to our second point, which is that so we have a living faith knows truth, but second, a living faith produces good works. A living faith produces good works. That's probably James' main point in this passage. He's addressing what is the relationship between our faith and our good works? And he gives three answers to that that I want to point out. The first is that a living faith wants to work. A living faith wants to do good works. And you see that here in verse 14. James says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in, in daily food and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? 
so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Faith without works is dead. And what James is saying is true living faith wants to love people, but a dead faith doesn't want to love people. Living faith wants to do something. And, uh, you know, I've heard it uh, uh, put this way before. You know, you imagine that uh, there was a dead person lying there on the ground. And, and someone says to you, behold, the dead person has been resurrected. And you say, uh, I, don't, I don't think he's resurrected. He's like lying there. He's dead. And, and, and they say, he has come alive. There's new life in him. And you say, well, he's not even sitting up. He's not like breathing or doing anything that shows that he's alive. Why would I think he's alive? I don't even think he's breathing. When you come alive, you do things. That's the sign that there is life in you is there is action. You want to use your new life. It's the same in our spiritual lives. The Bible says that by nature, we are dead in our sins. We can't love. We can't know how to honor God. And then we come to faith in Christ and we come alive. And when that new life comes into you, you want to do something to serve God, to love people uh, the way that you've been loved. And, and even if it's imperfectly, you have a desire to, to honor God and to serve him with the love. And that's part of the new life that's come into us. So good works don't give you life. But when you are alive, you want to work. So what is the relationship between faith and works? First, a living faith wants to work. Second, a living faith is seen by others through our works. When you have a living faith, it is seen by others through your good works. Works make our faith visible. And uh, John Neville, our, uh, our pastor in our church, helped me with this, uh, this point of the sermon because you remember, uh, you know, it appears that there's this contradiction between uh, James and Paul and their different understandings of justification. What John pointed out is that there are really two definitions of, you know, what does justification mean? On the one hand, justification can mean pretty much the forgiveness that God gives us in Jesus. You know, God's declaration that we are acceptable in his sight. And that's what Paul is focused on. And it's really about our relationship to God, how God declares us righteous and acceptable in his sight. But on the other hand, the word justification can mean to be publicly vindicated. To be publicly vindicated. It's God declaring to the world that I'm righteous or that I'm acceptable to him. And so in some ways, this version of justification isn't about my relationship to God. It's about my relationship with the people around me. And you can see that the main focus of James is not how God evaluates us, but how people evaluate us. See what it says in verse 18 there. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You see, James is talking about how do people know that we have true faith? He says it's not enough that we just say that we believe. And we know, all know that's the case. We've probably all met people who are, who are Christians, and they're really unpleasant. And we think, you know, this person says they're a Christian, and, but it really hasn't affected how they love people and how they interact with people. And, it, you know, it hasn't softened them and humbled them. And, uh, and, and so, you know, if you say, I am God's beloved child, 
but you're a jerk. No one will believe you that you're really God's beloved child. And so what James is saying is the way God declares to the world, this is my beloved child who I've forgiven and I've saved them from their sins. The way that he shows the world that that's true, the public vindication is through our life being changed and through our good works. And so in this sense, we are justified before the world through our good works. And of course, our Lord says the same thing. He says in the Sermon on the Mount, you'll know a tree by its fruit. Or he says in John, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. See, the people will know that you are truly saved in it and transformed by the love, by the good works that are you. And Paul actually says the same things uh, back in Romans when he's talking about Abraham in, in Romans 4. It says, for Abraham was justified, for if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. You see what he says? If Abraham's been transformed, he's going to have works that are, are going to show who he is before other people, but he's not going to have something to boast about before God. Abraham is justified before people by his works, but no one is justified before God by works. Before God, no man can boast. So what can we say about faith and works? Well, first, a living faith wants to, wants to work. You know, when a dead person comes alive, they want to do something. They want to jump around. They want to go play basketball. They want to use their new life that's been given to them. That's true in their spiritual life. Second, a living faith is seen by others through our works. That's how our faith is made visible is, uh, is through our good works, okay? But a third thing about faith and works is that a living faith empowers good works. It enables and empowers good works. And this is such an important point in our church, that, that good works come from faith. And uh, James says in verse 21, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? Now, James is talking about a story from the book of Genesis where God told Abraham to take his son Isaac up on a mountain um, to offer him as a sacrifice. And just as Abraham was raising the knife to slay his son, uh, the angel of the Lord says, wait, stop, and, they, and brings a, a ram instead for, for Abraham to offer him so he never kills his son. And some of you have probably read that passage in, in Genesis 22 and thought, how could Abraham ever be willing to sacrifice his own beloved son, promised son, well, if you go to the book of Hebrews, it tells us how Abraham was able to do that. It says, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead. Abraham believed God was going to raise Isaac from the dead. He said, well, it's my promised son. God has purposes for my son. The only way this can work must be that God's going to raise him after, after I sacrifice him. Faith enabled Abraham to do this great act of obedience. And that's always the case. And that's why James says here in verse 22, you see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by works. Good works find their power in the faith. So, you know, take for example, if you're going to be honest, 
if you're going to become an honest person as a Christian, you're supposed to, you know, not lie and you be kind of transparent and genuine and honest. And how do you be- become honest? Well, it's, it comes from trusting that if I tell the truth, whatever the consequences are of me telling the truth, I trust that God takes care of me and he'll protect me. And, and he has good purposes for me and I rest in his fatherly care. And so therefore I can tell the truth and accept whatever comes with telling the truth. You see? The good work of honesty is enabled and empowered by a faith in God's goodness and, and, and care for us. Faith empowers good works. Or take another example. Let's say you're going to be a generous person with your money. You know, how do you become a person who is kind of open-handed? You don't have a tight grip on your money, but you freely give it away. It comes from a place where you say, well, I see that God has taken care of me in the past. He's always cared for me. He's given me all that I need in the past. And I trust that he's going to give me everything I need in the future. So I don't need to have a tight grip on my money because he cares for me. And so I can be generous. I can open my hand and, and, and be generous with other people. Faith empowers and enables generosity. This is true of all of our good works. They always come from a place of security and confidence in God's love for us. That's why Hebrews says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. You can only serve and please God from a place of of faith. So true works only find their power in trusting God. And so this leads to our final point. So far, we've heard that faith is more than knowledge. It's not less than knowledge, but it's definitely more. And that faith produces good works because because a living faith wants to work. A living faith is made visible and seen by others through good works. And a living faith actually empowers and enables good works. But what then is faith? This is what kind of what faith does. And we know it's more than knowledge. What is it? Well, that's that's our final point here. Is that Living faith trusts in Jesus. A living faith trusts in Jesus. And you know, it's interesting that both James and Paul, when they talk about faith and works and justification, they, they both go to the same story. It's the story of Abraham in Genesis. And I mentioned that James tells this story from Genesis 22 that happened 40 years after Abraham first believed. The act of obedience was 40 years after he first believed. And James mentions when Abraham first believed in verse 23, it says, and the scripture was fulfilled that said, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. Now that verse comes from Genesis 15. If you go back to Genesis 15, where that quote's taken from, it tells the story of God making a covenant with Abraham. And God makes all these promises to Abraham that he's going to have a family of, you know, multitude that is going to come from him. And and Abraham's wondering, well, how can all of this be true? And so the Lord has Abraham cut these animals into pieces and they're cut in half. And there's like this, this aisle going through uh, these animals that are cut in pieces. And this is the way a covenant was done in the, in the ancient world where two parties who are making an agreement with one another to say, hey, listen, if I don't keep my side of the agreement, this, what happened to these animals will happen to me. I should be cut in pieces. I should be put to death. And so after this is all set up, Abraham then falls into a deep sleep and the Lord himself passes through the pieces of the animals, as if to say, Abraham and his children will fail to keep the covenant. 
And the Lord says, what happens to these animals, the cutting, the piercing, the killing will come upon the Lord himself. And of course, there's a very ancient promise of the Lord coming in Jesus, bearing the sins, bearing the failure of Abraham and all of his children. And so, uh, and that Jesus would die in Abraham's place. And that's how Abraham can say, that's how all these promises will be true to me. And in Genesis 15, when Abraham believed and he was justified and it was accounted to him as righteousness, Abraham wasn't doing any good works. He was sleeping. <laughs> he, was, you know, he was there while the Lord was doing the good works. And the Lord was putting Christ before him and calling him to believe, to trust. And then he trusted in those promises his whole life. Because at its most fundamental level, that is what faith is. is trusting in the promises of God that are ours in Jesus. All the promises of God find their yes, find their completion in the person of Christ. The promises of eternal life, the promises that will be embraced and loved by God, the promise of the Holy Spirit, the promise that will be a part of God's family in the church, um, the, the promise of, of the healing and the restoration of, the, of a new heavens and the new earth in the future. All of these promises come together in Jesus. And so as we look at all this, what then would what, what I say to my, my friend Mike who says, hey, listen, this is the only passage in the Bible that says faith alone. It says Abraham was not justified by faith alone. Well, I'd say that Abraham was justified before God by faith in Christ alone. Forty years before he showed his faith to the world in offering his son Isaac. And that's why that we say he was justified before God by faith alone, though he was justified by, before the world by works. His living faith didn't stay alone. His faith grew and it deepened and it matured. It became a knowledge about God. And his living faith then wanted to work and it showed itself to the world through obedience. And his living faith empowered him to do the great act of obedience to offer his, his son. But Abraham never grew out of his faith in Jesus. It's not like faith is kind of the baby steps that you do at the beginning of your Christian life. And then when you really become mature, you start doing the good works. Because even when he did his greatest act of obedience at the end of his life, Hebrews says he was looking to the resurrection. His eyes were fixed on Jesus the whole time, not on his own good works. And that's why Paul says the righteous shall live by faith. It was true for Abraham. It's true for us as well. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, uh, we thank you uh, for the nuanced truth that we find in your word. The great statements from the Apostle Paul that we are accepted as a gift of grace because of the work of Christ, not because of our good works. And yet also the honesty in James that a living faith always wants to work, responds to God, God's grace with good works. A living faith empowers good works. And Lord, we want that to be true of us that we might show each other and show the world around us the great love that we've received in Christ and show who we are by our good works. So you, may your Holy Spirit enable us to do that. May we be a church that presses, you know, uh, presses one another on towards love and towards good deeds. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.